Hey, it's so good to be here, and uh, Ben, I just appreciate you. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a weird season for me. Um, I'm the lead pastor of our church for two more weeks, and then I get kind of, uh, I'm just become an elder, and I, January 1st, became full-time with Acts 29, so I do wear those two hats. One is, I think the title I've changed now, Rural Strategist, which is global, so I get to bounce around the, the world a little bit, trying to help our network think through strategies and support for guys who are planting in small, isolated, forgotten places, how to resource them, how to connect them, how they can, uh, in their calling to a small place, endure for the long run. And then just recently uh, with the Northeast, uh, just a, a great joy. And the Northeast is the six New England states, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. I think we presently actually now has, has 43 church plants in that region. I think we have five guys in the pipeline right now. So that's, that's really encouraging. I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad moved to New Hampshire when I was two years old, 1965, you can do the math. Um, and so I grew up in rural New Hampshire and that's been my, my uh, sort of experience. We're gonna look at Ephesians chapter one, verses three through 14. I'm gonna pray and uh, I believe God will feed our souls as we open our spiritual mouths and take it in. Lord Jesus, thank you that this morning finds us gathered around you. You are the light of the world. You are the one for whom all things were made. You are our hope. You are our joy. Uh, and as we open the word, Lord, as I get to spend time here with the sisters and brothers at Rivertown, I pray, Lord, that all our hearts would be stirred to love you more, to be more confident in our faith, to, um, to love people around us from a place of, of uh, just a full heart in you. Uh, may your word uh, come alive. May uh, you speak uh, through me. May my sisters and brothers do their job of trying to hear what you're saying to the church. And Lord, may we all be uh, not just hearers, but may we respond with, uh, with life this week fed by the word of God. So help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I mentioned I grew up in the church. My dad pastored Little New Hampshire churches. And when I went off to college, uh, I loved Jesus, but I wasn't thrilled with the church. Now, for us, that, at this morning, that may seem a little incongruous, but like the reality was, I thought Jesus had a plan B. I thought church sort of failed, and, like, uh, and, and uh, I just didn't see real life there. I saw it out there in the sort of the, the parachurch world, which if you're not familiar with church talk, those are ministries outside the church. And so I was going to follow Jesus, but the church was like, eh. And the Lord did a couple things. One was uh, I was already in uh, a dorm in my second year of college, and it's a Christian school. And so I'm identifying with these guys, and I'm shepherding them, and a number of them kept saying, David, you'd make a good pastor. David, you'd make a good pastor. And I love Jesus, and I knew, I, oh, I'm a pastor. All right, I got, so I started leaning into following a pastoral calling, and I said, Lord, when you tell me I shouldn't be a pastor, I'll stop. And uh, golly, that's been, well, that was like 40 years ago. And I uh, started pastoring when, uh, in 1987. Anyway, um, as I think about the church, and I think about who we are this morning, we're here to gather around Jesus. And all around the globe, in small settings, in hidden settings, in large settings, people are doing what we're doing, gathering around Jesus. And often when we look at the church, you know, we look at, we kind of look at where we meet, what, you know, how, how, what's the liturgy, who's the pastor. But more importantly, rather than how we see the church, is how does Jesus see us? And this is pretty stunning. 
Because from Ephesians chapter 3, he sees us in ways that um, are, are just mind-blowing, and, and they change the way I think we then see the church. So as we think of Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start reading in verse 3, and we're going to look at some of the ways Jesus sees us this morning, sees us at Rivertown, sees us as sisters and brothers, as Christians. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3 begins this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Okay, the first way Jesus sees us this morning, you are the blessed ones. That's what it says. Blessed be God and Father, which is to speak well of God. So part of what we've done this morning is to pour our hearts, put into our mouths words of truth about God. We speak, we bless them. But when God speaks... Like when he spoke in Genesis, things happened. It wasn't just words. It was like the earth was created. Well, God, he says, Jesus says of you, you are the blessed one. So what does that mean? When I was in high school, I'm going to tell some stories. Uh, ben knows I tell stories. That's what old men do. We tell stories. Um, when I was in high school, I had a friend by the name of John. He was a year ahead of me. And from a time about sophomore in college, his dad was quite successful and had a cabin on a lake or on an island on a lake in northern Maine, Lake Parmigiani. Lake Parmigiani is about three miles long, a mile wide. There are only seven camps on this whole lake. So very remote, 20-mile logging road to get out there. He had the camp on the island, which had been around for 100 years or more. Teddy Roosevelt actually fished there, President Teddy Roosevelt. Um, and so... John, my friend, would take me up to his dad's cabin. I learned to, learned to appreciate fishing for landlocked salmon and, and, and uh, we call them breakfast trout. You go out in early in the morning, fish for breakfast trout, bring them in, cook them with eggs and, and uh, French toast and bacon, all the bacon you could eat. And that was, that was, anyway, because I was a friend with John, the son, I had the blessings of the father. You see where we're going with this? Everything in Ephesians 1 is based on the theology of what we would call union with Christ. We've been united with Christ. Because you're in Christ, all the blessings of the Son are now yours. And anyway, and, and, and we understand this in human relationship. Anyone you're in relationship brings blessing to you from the abundance of their, uh, their lives. Well, because you're in Christ, you have all the blessings of the Father. When I was young, I, one of my hobbies was to keep a little fish tank. I did it for years, just killed more fish. I, well, anyway, um, fish are easy pets, parents. Like when they die, you don't have to bury them, not a lot of tears, you just flush them. It's easy. <laughs> well, I, my, my fish lived in anything from five-gallon tanks to 30-gallon 30, 30 tanks, 55-gallon tanks, and uh, that was the life of a fish. They swam around in that aquarium, that's all they knew. They didn't know what was around the corner from, from the room they were in. They didn't know what was downstairs. They didn't know what was outside. They just knew life in the aquarium. Well, that's where we are right now. We're swimming around this aquarium called life here. There's so, there's so much blessing that God has given us here, but we have all the blessings be in, in the heavenly places. Like, all of that is yours because you're in Christ. He does everything, we receive it. All right, so that's, that's the first way he sees the church. 
He sees us as the blessed ones. And you, well, we'll get to this, but the way this works out is like all that is Christ's is yours because your relationship with the Son, you have everything that's the Father's. We could stop right there, have the benediction, like that's just enough to go on. But look at verses, verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. A second way that Jesus sees you this morning is you are the chosen ones. He chose you. Uh, I think before the foundation of the world. We have a hard time. We, we sing about the love of God, and, and, but often our hearts condemn us in a way that we think that God is tolerating us. Nope, he doesn't just tolerate us. He likes us. He chose us. Another story from when I was in school. Uh, fifth, sixth grade, recess time. It was a Christian school, Derry, New Hampshire. And every recess when the sun was shining, we'd go out and play kickball. I wasn't that, very, I wasn't that good. But there were some really good athletes. And so every recess you'd go out, and some guy would, one of, the, one of the good guys would become the captain, and they would start picking their team. And I so wanted to be on the team of a good, a good captain. Like, like, I want to be chosen. Because you had a better chance of winning. You know where this is going? Jesus chose you. And he's the really good player, okay? We're not. He chose us in our weakness. And he says here, he chose us, it says in the verse, that we should be holy and blameless, which means the, the whole idea here is that, that we are fully set aside for where he's assigned us and for how he wants us to play. And that's how you can sort of boil down holiness, that we're fully set aside to how he wants us to play, what he says the team ethic should be. That we are called to live that with every ounce of our being that we contribute to what he is doing. The irony of this, of, of God choosing us, is that he didn't just, again, choose us because of our strengths. He chose us just because he loved us. He likes us. And he chose, it says in Revelation, to dwell among us. In fact, Jesus, we, we met the basic criteria. Jesus said, if two or three are gathered together, even in the hardest thing of church discipline, now, if he's there in that, He's here this morning. He dwells among us because he chose to do that. In the midst of all, that, all, all the confusion of life, we are called to remind ourselves over again that we have all the blessings of the Father because of the Son. We are chosen by, by Christ in him. He chose us before the foundation to be part of what he is doing. Again, we could stop right there, sing the benediction, Go home, and that should be enough to feed our soul. But it gets better. Because it's one thing to be chosen on a team, but look what it says in verses 5 and 6. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Okay, so it's one thing to be chosen on a team, but now, in Christ, he sees you not only as the blessed ones who get all the blessings of the Son because you're related through the Son, to the Father, and not just as chosen people, but as adopted children. I think one of the best analogies of this world is it is a stinky orphanage with everybody sitting around in their dirty diapers, crying for attention, fighting for their basic needs, not caring about anybody else around them because they're, they're just so filled with their own 
angst and need and, and, and mess and, and longing to belong. And God in his kindness has walked through. And if you're in Christ this morning, he, is, he has adopted you and he's come into the stinky orphanage and he says, I'm adopting you. I'm going to pay the price for adoption. I'm going to take you out of your dirty diapers and clothe you with, with new clothing. I'm going to set you up and care for you here. I'm going to assign to you a nanny who's going to walk with you through life. That would be the Holy Spirit. I'm going to prepare a special place for you, and I'm going to come and get you and take you to my place. That is the picture here. That in Christ, you have all the blessings of the Father because you're related to the Father through the Son. You are chosen, that God has chosen you before the foundation of the world, that you would be part of what he is doing. You have a special role to play. You, you, he has given you a, a um, clear ways of living that out in a holy and blameless way, and he's adopted you. He's, he, has, he has come into this stinky orphanage and said, you're my daughter, you're my son. I'm, I'm going to clothe you with a new clothing. I'm going to assign someone to care for you while I go and prepare a place for you. And while you're in the orphanage, by the way, spread the word that you have a really good dad. Well, we could stop right there. We could quit, go home, have lunch. We could feast on these three things. I got four more from the text. I, I mean, actually more than that, but we're just going to look at, we're looking at seven ways. Jesus looks at you this morning. One, he looks at you as the blessed because you're related to the Son, you have all the blessings of the Father. Because, you were, because he said, for whatever reason, I chose you as my daughter, as my son. I chose you to be on my team. I chose you to be part of what I'm doing, to be holy and blameless on, in, in this world that needs to see a, a, a kingdom run by a different king. I've adopted you. You are a loved child. And no longer are you cursed to sit in your dirty diapers without hope in this world without sense of belonging and love. You are mine. I've assigned to you someone to care for you, the Holy Spirit, until I finish preparing a place for you. And by the way, while you're in the orphanage, keep telling people about how good your father is. Look at verses 7 and 8. In him, we're talking about in Christ. Remember, this is, if, if you're not familiar with Christianity, um, one of the, the beliefs we understand is that because Christ has saved us, we've been united with him. Almost like husband and wife, that union. We have been united with Christ. In him, we have been united with Christ. Because we've been united with Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. This is really good news. As we sang about, we, we need redemption. We need, we need to have our, our debt paid off. We, we need to be bought out of the slavery. There's all sorts of imageries in the Bible for this. This is part of the good news, that there's a price to be paid to get me out of the trouble I'm in, and I don't pay for it. It's called redemption. Another story from when I was a kid. So uh, we used to go around the streets of of the streets, the roads of uh, this little town my dad pastored in called Kentuckuk, New Hampshire. And uh, at one point, uh, my sisters, I have two twin sisters, uh, the younger than I am, but we would, we would go around and collect cans and bottles on the side of the road. 
have been discarded. In fact, at one point, uh, they would pedal their bikes and I tied a rope to it and I had my skateboard and I would try to scoop it up as we're moving around anyway. We made a lot of sport out of it, but we collected those bottles and cans for a purpose. Because if we took them down to the, the little grocery store in our town, at that point it was called the A&P, I think that was stood for Atlantic Pacific, but that's another. Anyway, they had a redemption center there. They would pay the price to buy back the junk so that it could be made useful again. You see where we're going with this? Christ has paid for our redemption. We've been trashed by sin. We've been discarded on the side of the world's road. We were, we were dirty and filthy. We were not fulfilled with the purpose that we were made for. But Jesus, in his love, has redeemed us by paying for our guilt, our sin. We, this is the good news, that Christ died for sinners. He, it's redemption. He paid the price for junk. Stuff that was once useful had been destroyed by sin. He bought it back, brought it, bought it, cleaned us up through his redeeming work, and now we're filled with usefulness again. Our original intent. There's a great picture there. This is how Jesus sees you today. He has paid the price fully. We don't come to church to try to earn our way into God's presence. As someone said, you can't, God can't love you more if you're better. He's not going to love you worse, less if you're worse. You're his child. The price of our redemption has been paid in Christ. Fully. Fully. We serve now out of this great love of being chosen or blessed, chosen, adopted, redeemed. Is that song, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe? Christ has paid it. In fact, we remember it in our, our Christian gatherings when we remember, as uh, Paul instructed the church in Corinth, we proclaim his death until he comes. We need to do that because when I'm feeling really smug about myself, like I'm a pretty good guy, I'm not a bad person, like I need to be reminded, no, David, you were junk, trashed by sin. Christ had to redeem you. When I'm feeling awful about my sin, when I'm feeling overwhelmed by just my daily struggle with sin, I need to be reminded, nope, David, Christ has paid for that sin too. So this is how Christ sees us this morning. You, sister and brother, you are blessed, you are chosen, you are adopted, you are redeemed. Continues. Verses 9 and 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set, out, set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So, you are now the enlightened ones. You know the mystery of what God is doing. You know why we're here, where we came from, why we're so messed up, where our hope is, and where the story goes. You know it, because you're in Christ. The mystery of Christ has been revealed to you. You are the enlightened ones. My wife and I, about a dozen years ago, joined a book club in our town. At that point, we were living in this little village of Kentuckook, I'm not Kentuckook, Chichester. Our church plant was in Concord, the big city of Concord. And, um, but we lived in for 18 years out there. But about a dozen years ago, we joined a book club because like, we didn't have a lot of Christ, uh, uh, lost friends. I, I, I have a Christian job. Like, most of the people I, 
And so it's, it's pretty rough to tell the church to go out on mission because every member's a missionary when I wasn't on mission. So Sharon and I joined this book club. We became fast friends over the years with there were about 17 of us total in this group, a mixed group. Um, and and uh, we read some pretty whack stories. But ironically, every story has a redemptive theme. Good stories have, you know, you know they have the, the, the characters, the conflict, the, the crisis, the climax, and then, you know, the happily ever after. Those are good stories. Some stories are really sad. They never have a good ending, and that doesn't fit our human wiring. But anyway, and, and so now it becomes like every book. In fact, the last book we read, uh, the, one of the people in the group says, Dave, you, there's God all over this story, isn't there? I mean, because, like, that's, that's how we, we, we yeah. One, one book I couldn't remember. I, I mean, I, it, was so, it was one of these uh, mystical realism books, and it was like, they said, Dave, where do you see God? I said, uh, it's like, honestly, I'm like, I don't, I, I didn't see God in this story. Linda, my atheist friend, says, David, they had fish and bread. Didn't Jesus do something with fish and bread? I go, yes, yes, that's right, Linda. Anyway, I'm telling you the story all, all to circle around to my wife, who when we get a book, and so we, each, anyway, um, and when we host, by the way, we often will pick a book that um, it either has a Christian theme, like we've done uh, C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce, or uh, we did The Hiding Place, which um, was a tearjerker for people who don't know the gospel, like the forgiveness of that. Anyway. But when we get a book, my wife, Sharon, she'll frequently read the last chapters. She wants to know before she dives into the book whether she should invest in a heavy, deep read or she's going to fly through it based upon the end of the story. She wants to know how the end of the story goes. Sisters and brothers, you know how the end of the story goes. You know how you read the end of the book. Jesus is going to make all things new. The lion lays down with the lamb. There's no more, use, no more need for weapons. They're all made into, into farming equipment. Like, like there's, there's eternal bliss in a world with new resurrected bodies where there's no more growing old. There's no more aches and pains. There's no more death. You are the enlightened ones. You know this. And it says here that he's made known to you the mystery of his will according to his purpose. That, that we live in a way that aligns ourselves with the story of redemption of Jesus. That's, that's the primary, that's why we're called Christians. Christ is the center of how we live. We live according to the purpose of his will because he's revealed to us the mystery which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite everything in him. This is really good news. We've been shown the secret of where we came from, why we're messed up, what the hope is right now, what our lives are to look like now, and where we're headed. Yesterday, that one of my cousin, a cousin of mine, his, her husband, is um, a New York State policeman. He had heart surgery like two years ago, but then last fall, he got COVID, and it all complicated things. On New Year's Eve, he died in Christ. He's in Christ. So we could gather. We gathered yesterday to celebrate Will's life. Um, and the hope in that room, in the midst of tears, was so evident because we are the enlightened ones. We know how the story ends. All right, two more. Verses 9 and 10. Making known... To, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Verse uh, 11 and 12. did 9 and 10 already. Verses 11 and 12. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined 
according to the purpose of his will. In him we've obtained an inheritance. If you're taking notes, which I, well, whatever. You are the enriched ones. You may not feel rich this morning. In fact, you may be running from a, a bill collector or you just may be struggling to make ends meet. Uh, you may be wondering if uh, with the, the downturn and uh, both the economy and the stock market, will you have a 401, or, you know, 401k left or they downgraded it to a 201 or something? I don't know. Like, like it doesn't matter. In Christ, it says here, you've obtained an inheritance. One of my favorite verses is, says, do not fear, little flock. It is my father's intention to give you his kingdom. This allows us to be radically generous and totally unmaterialistic because we are going to inherit everything. My uh, wife's mom's parents, they were hardworking people, came through the Depression. They lived in Maryland. They both worked factory jobs. My, my wife's grandmother sewed buttonholes on London fog raincoats for 35 years or something like that. But they had bought a 40-acre farm, which they, they ran a farm on the side. And uh, when Grandpa and Grandma Wagner died, that property in Maryland had gone from being this little farmette to being worth, like, millions. And so when they passed, I got thinking, hmm, I wonder if a uh, granddaughter, they had about seven grandchildren, when did the grandchildren get in anything? Nothing. Okay. I have a brother-in-law, several brother-in-laws, but one of my brother-in-laws, he's, he's, a, he's a really, we're, good, we're close friends, he's typically on the conservative side, so I was shocked one day when his wife and, and my wife sent us down to the grocery store to get some stuff, and we're at checkout, and my, my brother-in-law, Scott, bought a Powerball ticket. Now, this guy, I, this is just like, I, like, you know, like, you don't gamble, bro. So he, he, he puts down his two bucks for a Powerball ticket, and I said, Scott, what are you doing? And he said, well, man, I'm just thinking of how awesome it would be to pay off everybody's mortgage. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't win. I know he's talking about my mortgage, too. I got nothing from my, gran- my wife's grandparents, got nothing from Scott, but in Christ, we inherit everything. We are the enriched ones. If you're, uh, in, that, that in Christ, we have been given everything that is his. And again, this allows us to live in a, a different ethic, a different way of looking at life here, like not clinging to stuff, but to live in this sort of radically open-handed way that whatever I have is, is temporary and meant for promoting my father who's adopted me through Christ and so I can live in a radically generous way. So, in Christ, as he looks at Rivertown Church this morning, if you're not in Christ, by the way, it's not an accident you're sitting here. He's inviting you to, to believe this, receive this promise of, of what Christians have in Christ. That you have all the blessings of the Father because you're related through the Son. All, you're blessed. You're chosen. He chose you specifically. Not Pastor Ben or Pastor Eric or Pastor David. He, he chose you, I mean, them too, but like he chose you to be a part, to be set apart, in, in, to, to, to be part of what he's doing. He adopted you. So no longer you need to sit around and crying in your dirty diapers. You've been redeemed. You've been cleaned up. You've been, re, you've, you've been 
You've been given a new set of clothing. You've been given a, a nanny, so to speak, a Holy Spirit to tend to you and care for you and be with you all the time until the Father finishes what the Son is building for you. You're adopted. The price has been paid. You're redeemed. Every part of my guilt has been paid for. I, we, we, we've been fully redeemed. We're, we're enlightened. We know how the story goes. We know where it started, why it's messed up, who the hero is, and where we go. Like that, that, that sort of sets us free from anxiety. We're enriched. You have everything in Christ. And finally, verses 11 and 12. I'm sorry, not 11 and 12. 13 and 14. You are the secured ones. Look what it says in those words. In Christ, again, union with Christ, because you're united in Christ, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of, of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Synonymous with secure, you are the secured ones. You are the safe ones. You are the assured ones. The Holy Spirit has secured you because the Holy Spirit has been put in your life. It is a reminder on a constant basis, Christ will fulfill what he has paid for. He's put a deposit, a down payment. The sale will be final. It's completed for, for lots of reasons, for his glory, to share with you his work so that you can share in his glory. You're not there yet, but you're secured. And every taste of the Holy Spirit, the joy and peace of the Holy Spirit, the kindness and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that is all a reminder that you are secured. You cannot be lost. When I was 14 years old, I entered an art contest and I painted this, not painted, uh, pencil sketched a picture of the hands of Jesus with a little four-year-old boy sleeping in it. And it was based upon the verse that says, uh, you shall never perish, neither shall anyone pluck you out of my hand. We, we cannot be lost. We are secure. Regardless of what your life looks like, what you're called to endure, what, what Satan hurls at you, we'll read later in this chapter, Satan hates you, he can't take you to hell, but he can make life on earth for you hellish because we are fighting against not flesh and blood, not against people, but against these powers we cannot see, you're still secure. Well, why ponder these, these seven ways Jesus looks at you as, as his disciples? Because it's kind of like on a cold winter day here in Vermont. And if you've got a wood stove or a pellet stove, you keep feeding the fire to keep the fire warm. We're reminded that though this world is, is, is cold and dark, the furnace of our soul is fed deeply by the truths that are in Christ so that we ourselves are, are changed. We radiate what Christ has done in us. And so it contributes to our worship. It makes us... Worship takes work because we're distracted. We, are, we doubt. We are like... There's just so many things that... And yet, these things help us worship. And, and, and as we worship, it gives us confidence in how we live. Like, you're not, you and I are not guaranteed an easy life here. 
What we are guaranteed is everything we have in Christ. That, that in Christ, all these things, that we're blessed, we're chosen, we're adopted, we're redeemed, we're enlightened, we're enriched, we're secured, all those things, because we're united with Christ, cannot be taken away with us from us. And it also gives us devotion to our part in what Jesus is doing in this world. I am, uh, two weeks from now, I am no longer the lead pastor. After 35 years, 20 years at this church, not going to be the lead pastor, but they've given me a title. It's a position. I am mission pastor. Part of my job is to help keep our church on mission, reminding our, our flock that every member is a missionary. That where you live, your, your, your neighbors, your, your family, your workplace, your school, all those places, Jesus has strategically sent you there. You may think you work at a bike shop, but you really work at a bike shop. You're strategically, you know, that's, that's your disguise. You're on mission. And this is how it, these things remind us of why we, why we live in Brattleboro, why we live in New Hampshire, why we live in the Northeast, because we're part of something that Jesus is doing. That at the end of the day, we would be overwhelmed by his goodness and it would explode, as it says over and over, verse 6, verse 12, verse 14, to the praise of his glorious grace. He is good to us. He looks at you this morning. He says, sisters, brothers, feed your soul. Stuff your furnace full of this stuff. Let it burn bright. It'll give you confidence in what you are called to be in this world. Let me pray for you. Lord, frequently we as the church see ourselves as somehow downtrodden or we're, we're such a small minority in a, in a dark, dark, secular world. But Lord, these remind us that, that in you, we, we have this, this, these incredible honored positions, these, these realities that you look at us in a very different way. Lord, may it strengthen each of us in our callings, in our obedience, in our joy, in our worship, in our, 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 our devotion to, to what it means to live blameless in this world. Strengthen us, Lord, as we ponder these things, that we might be this bright light in a dark world. For your glory, our joy, and the benefit of those who are lost. In Christ's name, amen.